Welcome to Office Hours, a podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marcia Chatlin, and the concept is simple. Each week, one professor, me, and one student, lots of conversation. Office Hours, for the things we don't talk about in class. Today on the podcast, I talked to Harmon Singh, a recent college graduate, about faith and justice. How are you, Harmon? I am great. How are you? Good. Um, I know Harmon because he is a 2015 Truman Scholar. Um, He's incredibly kind. And I wanted to talk to you today a little bit about um, your religion and how it informs your public service. Um, so you are sick, which I think in America a lot of people pronounce Sikh. And so could you tell us a little bit about Sikhism? Sure, yeah. Um, so thank you for having me on the podcast. <laughs> uh, so I'll give you a little bit of background into Sikhism and then a little bit of background into my family as well. Um, so uh, Sikhism is about 500 years old. Uh, it comes from a region in northern India called Punjab um, and uh it's one of it's the fifth largest religion in the world, um, but also relatively young compared to a lot of the other big, uh, big religions. Um, and uh, yeah, so my family is sick. Um, I am sick. My family immigrated to this country um, about oh. Well, in, right after 1984, mm-hmm. um, and they've been here ever since. Um, I'm the only person in my family born in the country, um, and they actually immigrated to Iowa first, uh-huh. middle of nowhere Iowa, um, spent some time there, and then moved to Buffalo, New York, which is where I was born. Do your parents talk about their years in Iowa? Um, not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, I think once... When they first came to this country, it was like the typical immigrant experience where they had no money, no friends, um, and like kind of spoke the language. Um, And so it was very much like survival mode and setting their roots in the country. And so I think um, for me, especially being born in Buffalo, um, my memories of family and childhood all start in Buffalo. So I don't... I personally don't have, like, an intimate connection to Iowa, Mm -hmm. um, but my family, it was definitely the place where we first came. Um, We were talking earlier, it reminds me of um, when Aziz Ansari did Master of None, and they did the episode on parents, and it was his parents and his friend's parents and their immigration story, and it's so sad. And I think it's something that, like, all children of immigrants... You feel so grateful for all the sacrifices of your parents, and you can't believe how horrible it was for them when they first got here. Yeah. And they're just so isolated. Yeah, I think it also makes you a little bit more grateful and also humbles, at least for me, it's a very humbling thing because I uh, remember when I first moved out to D.C. a few months ago, um, I called my dad. I didn't have any furniture. I was in this apartment. <laughs> called my dad, and I was like, "Man, I'm like sleeping on the ground, like with a sheet and a pillow." So in like you can't three tell days, immigrant parents that they don't want to hear it. Oh from my you. god, the guilt trip that I was taking on. It was then. It was like, really, you've been sleeping on the ground for three days. Me, your mom, and your older brother and sister slept on the ground for months while we didn't have for any years. It's and like, yeah. don't call me with this. <laughs> oh, man. And then immediately I was like, I have, I have nothing else to say. I'm, I'm done. This conversation is like, over. okay, I'll go away. Um, and so when you were growing up in Buffalo, were you part of a large Sikh community? Yeah, so there's a pretty, I would say, not large Sikh mm-hmm. community, but a very well-connected, um, really fostering, loving community in Buffalo um, that really focuses on children. And I think that is, uh, growing up in Buffalo was, in the Buffalo Sick community is probably um, one of the highlights of my mm-hmm. like life and experience in Buffalo. Um, I think it's always uh, um, growing up. I think 
the community gave me the space to question my identity and what I did, um, but always supported me and always guided me with like the values and principles of Sikhism. Um, and so I felt like I was able to grow into my faith myself rather than being told like, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more like, here's something that, you know, we believe in and here are our set of values. And this is what grounds what we do. Um, we would love for you to like come along on this journey with us. And I think um, to give that mentality and that focus on youth um, was really important for me growing up because I felt like I was then able to leave Buffalo and go to college with a strong sense, at least in faith, um, Mm -hmm. of who I was. And that kind of grounded me um, in all these different spheres, right? You get to college and there's friend groups and there's professional stuff and there's, you know, all, all these different yeah. you know, social activism, public you, service, yeah. there's all these spheres and I think it's often like you're just like, whoa, what am I doing? <laughs> um, and to have a sense of grounding and be like, oh, this is the one part of my life where I'm like, I know what this is. I know why I do this. I know why I believe this. This is where my values come from. Um, it became far easier to navigate the college sphere, to navigate the professional sphere, to navigate these spheres of life where you're like, you know, I'm coming to a professional world if I have to make a decision or if I have a question, um, I know where my values are coming mm-hmm. from. And to have that understanding, I think, was immensely important for me. And you were telling me, was it the four or five key values? Sure, yeah. So okay. I, I, I don't think I ever actually you talked weren't able about, to finish this? wasn't able to okay. talk about Sikhism. Um, so I think uh, probably the three central core mm-hmm. values that uh, people would give you when you talk about Sikhism are um, remembering God or reciting mm-hmm. God's name. Um, in Sikhism, it's called Nam Japna. Um, is the concept. Uh, the second one is Vandichakna, um, and the third one is Girtkarna. Um, and so Nam Japna is, you know, uh, remembering God's name. Um, and then the second two are uh, earning an honest living. Um, so being honest, not just in your earnings and your professional work, but being honest in your life. Um, and then uh, the third has to do with giving back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's actually a concept in Sikhism called Dasvand, which means a tenth of your earnings or what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily just physical monetary earnings, but also time um, and energy and effort. A tenth of that you should at least a tenth give back um, to uh, communities and in and in service. Um, and that's actually something we'll probably touch on at some point. But the concept of service in Sikhism is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a concept called seva, um, and it means selfless service. Um, and that's like, has driven my, you know, even this Truman scholarship that mm-hmm. we, that connects us um, is fueled from this sick sense of seva. And so part of being a sick also is about um, so internalizing a set of values and living them out in the world. Mm-hmm. But it's also about your physical appearance as well, yeah. that we've talked about. And so um, you wear a turban and you have a beard. Mm-hmm. And while that is a very clear outward sign of your faith, mm-hmm. what people see when they see that, I think, is so shaped by the terribleness of human beings. Yeah. Um, even though being in your presence, I feel so bad being so terrible because you exude so much loving kindness, yeah. but I have to be myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, I think a lot about, about racism. Um, and I think that imagining your parents where they were in the 80s and imagining you growing up in our current kind of social and political climate, um, what is it like navigating the way that people um, either misread or misunderstand kind of who you are? Sure, yeah. I think um, with an outward identity, right, it's not something that I can 
necessarily hide from. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and we, we mentioned this earlier, when when someone sees me, they know that I am bringing something else, right? I believe in something. I have certain values. Um, and whether they're sure of that, like what that means, or they have some conception of it in their head that may or may not be right, they know there's something else. And I think um, my my general mentality when I deal uh, with um, issues of either ignorance or hate um, have has been a sense that, first, I think it's primarily grounded in the Sikh value of Jartikala, which means eternal optimism. I think that is the actual grounding for my response or thought process with mm-hmm. any of uh, this hate. And I think it it sounds like it's at odds with like, wait, wait, there's like, we're talking about racism and we're talking about Islamophobia and we're talking about hate. Why are you talking about optimism? And I think it's immensely important because I don't want to be caught up in a sense of you know, oh my God, people are looking at me differently. People don't understand who I am. Mm-hmm. I really do see it as an opportunity um, to educate people about what my values are, what I bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I think it's a immensely powerful opportunity that potentially um, someone sees me with my outward Sikh identity mm-hmm. across the room and is able to say, like, that guy is a Sikh. I know what he believes in. I know his values. I know, you know, if I need help, he will protect me. I know what he or she believes in. And I think that is like a goal and and something that we can work towards. And I Mm -hmm. think when I look at uh, the problematic um, parts that are associated with having an outward identity Mm -hmm. that can be misconstrued and misunderstood, Mm -hmm. um, I think approaching it with a sense of positivity and optimism allows me to kind of think um, not, oh, crap, this sucks, but Mm -hmm. okay, this is here. How can we possibly work to deal with this? Um, And I think that's what I try to embody in my work and my conversations. Um, And that allows you to rather than if someone's walking by and gives you a second glance, inviting them to come talk to you, right? Engaging in conversation, engaging in an educational dialogue. I think that that kind of drives that mentality. And so when you were a kid in school Mm -hmm. or um, you're a person traveling in airports, Right. I think that there are these spaces where there is some clear confrontations Mm -hmm. and growing up um, in your community or growing up in your family. What did how did people talk to you about racism and and racial profiling? Yeah, sure. So I think that's a good question. Um, uh, I think when I was very young, right, I think if uh, like kindergarten, first, second, third grade, there's. naturally with an identity like mine when you're the kid. At that time, I didn't have a beard. Um, but still, you got... You got <laughs> no a, beard. Yeah, thank God. That, that would have been that a whole you, different yes, type of yes. bullying that would have been. Um, no, but I, you still have an outward identity, right? I still had my little mini turban called a butka. Um, and you are picked on in school. Kids call your name. But, but that shouldn't be natural. That's like, see, this is like, I'm going to start crying. Because you're right. Kids are terrible. Yep. The world is a terrible place. And so you're a kid. Mm. And so let me stop interrupting. So like you're a kid yeah, yeah. and the kids are being so terrible. Yeah. And it's like, are the teachers helpful? Are like the um, grown-ups? Yeah, I think it's finding your the people who you're comfortable around. Okay. I can remember teachers who were um, extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. I think probably the pillar of for me was my parents mm-hmm. um, as I think it often is in these cases uh, my mom was very intentional about going and educating every class I had yeah. about 
who I was. So I remember, you know, second, third, fourth grade, we walk in front of the whole class, like all the fourth grade class. Um, she shows a presentation. We talk about Sikhism. She, undo- she undid my turban in front of everybody, showed them my hair, was like, hey, look, under this turban is a, like hair, right? We all have hair. Um, and then talked a little bit about the culture, the history. Um, there are oh, some so wonderful. traditional uh, Indian dances that we would do on stage. It was just a whole, she would bring samosas for everybody. <laughs> It was like Your a whole, totally prepared a whole experience. To combat racism. I, I, that's yeah. so sweet. Um, and so she would do that to every class. And I think from there, I would get people who would come up to me because while it is, while kids can be difficult to deal with when they're others, right? And like with other identities, I think they're also, I remember my experience was largely defined by um, the like from kindergarten to all throughout elementary, middle school, kids coming up to me and being like, hey, I heard your mom talk about, you know, this story in Sikhism. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? And those were the dialogues. I would come and share my stories of my faith and my, like, the history of my faith with kids in, like, kindergarten. And so did your mom develop the strategy from your older brother and sister? Did did you think she did that with them as well? Um, yeah, I think I think it was a mentality that I mean I think it was her response to knowing that there were going to be um, instances where I was bullied in school, um, and I think it's a response that I've also tried to adopt mm-hmm. now, right? Which is the let's see how we can work on this and educate and share values and love and culture, um, and I think that was her way of dealing with it and something that taught me. Um, but I think again. It's, I would be remiss if I overlooked the difficult parts, right? There are parts where you come home crying and you're like this, you know, some kid, like, pulled off my turban today in school. What, like, I don't know how to deal with this. Yeah. Um, and I think in those moments to have, um, in those moments where you feel, uh, where you're not able to help yourself, um, I think, to have somewhere or someone or some community to yeah. turn to was immensely important. I think that often is what I think about when, I, when I'm trying to think about what I want to do with my life is to be able to be there for those gaps in people's lives where they really are like, wow, what do I do? Yeah. I'm, you know, I don't know what to do and I feel helpless. And I think, yeah, that was something that she had taught me. And so when you went to New York City mm-hmm. um, to go to college, um, you know, did you did you find that in terms of the educational environment a little bit more open um, than when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, New York is probably the most diverse city in mm-hmm. the in the world, um, and I had the opportunity to first uh, attend school at NYU and then at Columbia um, and both schools that foster diversity, foster inclusion, but also foster questioning and and unpacking your identities and sharing those identities with people. And I think um, that was important. Um, And I think it was a space where people were receptive to learning about my values and my culture and my faith. Um, And I think uh, I found myself not having to necessarily explain all the time um, and be like, hey, do you want to know, you know, the way I think is often practically, right? So someone's like, why do you wear a turban? I'm like, let me tell you my top five reasons. Here, 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 and here. Um, but I think uh, in that space, it, it made me uh, comfortable in being able to say, my faith tells me to do this. And people are like, that's so cool. I'd love to learn about your faith. And that, that openness and that uh, loving environment, I think, was something that I found um, and absolutely loved about Columbia, NYU, and the broader New York City community. Um, 
And so that I think my experience there was phenomenal. But I think it was, again, founded and grounded in family, in faith, and then in my community back home, which is where I turned. And so since you've graduated, you've been here in Washington, D.C., working for the Sick American Legal Defense. And ed- defense and Education Fund? Yep, yep. Um, I'm working at Uh It's an organization that I um, uh, did an internship through two years ago. Mm-hmm. We have an internship program where we bring interns to D.C. So I interned here in D.C. Uh, through SALDEF, um, and I saw it as a great way um, to get to hands-on experience in working with my community. So what kind of stuff do they deal with? Sure. Um, so my, I can, I'll talk mm-hmm. about my my little niche. Um, it's largely policy work. So everything from working on uh, bullying um, and education policy to working on uh, with the TSA on their diversity training uh, protocol um, uh, to working on um, hate crimes legislation. Um, so across the board, mm-hmm. uh, working on policy issues that directly impact either my community, the Sikh American community, or mm-hmm. the broader um, South Asian, Arab, Muslim, Middle Eastern well, community. I was curious about that. And so one of the, I think, one of the ways that we talk about racial profiling is we often think about Islamophobia and mm-hmm. we think about the Muslim community and there's a way that because of the ignorance, people often probably misread you as Muslim and the way that the Sikh community and the Muslim communities are targeted in mm-hmm. similar ways. And so what are the ways that um, you find that your community is coalition building with Muslim communities around this issue? Yeah, I think probably the most important uh, large, bigger picture view is to uh, when when we have these conversations, to not make it isolated communities, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think it's problematic and is extremely regressive to say, um, hey, we're not Muslims. Like, you are attacking the wrong group. Right, because um, that's sometimes a political strategy. Not good. Not good for anybody. Like, yep. oh, just so you know, we're not them. Yep. So please treat us different. Yes. Exactly. I think it's completely okay to inform people about what our faith right. is, what our values are. But at the same time, I think it's equally as important to stand in solidarity with our Muslim brothers and sisters, with our black brothers and sisters, with every single marginalized community that we see around us, um, and not throw anyone under the bus and be like, hey, it would be, you know, easier if you just attacked them and not us. I think that's so problematic. Do you feel that um, that is a message that um, kind of um, throughout the larger community that people are attuned to, or is that does that seem like a generational divide, as um, it is in some communities? Um, especially, I mean, I think we get this a lot with Black Lives Matter. Um, recently, um, there was an there was this thing on Facebook I saw where um, Asian Americans and Asian Pacific Islanders were um, forming a document on how to talk to your parents yeah. about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And so um, because of the f- kind of foundations of Sikhism, how do you engage members of your community to think kind of broadly about these questions? Yeah, so I think the cool part is um, with our faith, and I, as you'll notice, I refer to concepts in the faith because mm-hmm. that's what I really connect with. Um, there's at the end of our prayer that we say at the end of every service um, it's called Ardas. At the end of Ardas there's a phrase and it's uh, Sarbat Da Pala. And what that stands for is prosperity for all. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of our prayers we pray for all communities, right? And we believe the foundation of our very faith is uh, the concept of one God. But less so, it's, it's the idea of oneness, right? And so if everything is connected, if everything is equal, if all people are equal and we're all the same, um, 
the liberation, the safety, the protection of our fellow man is our is intimately tied to us, mm-hmm. regardless of their identity, regardless of their racial, gender, ethnic, religious, nationality, regardless of their identities. Mm-hmm. They are us, and we are them. Right? And that idea of oneness, um, I think, resonates at the core of Sikhism, and I think that's amazing because it's not difficult to get uh, members of the community on board with the idea that we stand in solidarity with everybody. Mm-hmm. We will not throw communities under the bus. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we will work together for collective justice and collective, um, you know, engagement in education across the board. So I think, to answer your question, I don't think it's hard necessarily. I think the community, as long as we turn to our values and our mm-hmm. faith, um, there's very clear precedent for uh, for approaching the situation in this way. And so where are the places, do you think, um, so one of the kind of experiences a lot of students have in college is um, an alienation from their faith or a mm-hmm. questioning of it. And I think one of the things that you talk about is that there's a deep desire um, in the way that you've experienced Sikhism as in about you, the individual, making the choice to come closer to it and not being forced or... Um, you know, feeling compelled by your family, but in the um, in a in a culture in which sometimes it seems like these values that you believe in, mm-hmm. everything in the culture is kind of running over them. So the idea of service, the other of selflessness. How do you remain connected to that set of values when um, you will always have an opportunity to hear someone say, "Well, why do you care about other people?" or "Why is you know what I mean?" I think that these impulses can be very strong. Sure, yeah. I think there are plenty of ways to connect. I'll tell you personally, I think um, uh, it's through, again, another sick concept um, of sangat, which means your community. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I find grounding in my community. And so whenever there do become questions of whether it's in any sphere of my life, right, Mm -hmm. professional, personal, um, in school, wherever I am, Mm -hmm. to say, you know, how do I approach this situation? Um, And I'm and I'm uncertain of uncertain of the connection between my values and the situation. I think that's when I turn to community, yeah. right? And I go to the Gurdwara, which is uh, the Sikh house of worship, right? And I go um, and I engage with community. I talk to community leaders. I talk to the, just the general community, um, the Sangha, my Sangha. And I think that's where um, when I have questions of value or when mm-hmm. I'm questioning these things, that's where I drive guidance from because the members of the community have a shared experience and they have a shared set of values and they have a shared understanding of and perception of life. And I think that is incredibly useful for me to kind of bounce ideas off them and go to them and say, hey, like, how do I do this? Yeah. Um, and so I think you're right. There's immense amount of questioning. Um, and I think it's important to find that grounding of where you're going to ground yourself. And I think my grounding has been in faith, but through Sangat and community. One of the things that's interesting, so you're off to law school in like a month. I am. And talk about a clash of cultures. I mean, really, in terms of the law broadly yeah. defined, right? Because we know that um, that legal remedies against discrimination and, you know, when the justice system works, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't always work for everyone, but when it works, it can do some really important things. And we know that... Um, the culture of law school can be about, um, you know, money and materialism and mm-hmm. and using um, the law to protect the privileged. And so as you enter law school, um, what are your expectations for the experience or where do you see the law kind of guiding um, the principles that are important to you? 
Sure. So I think at the core, the principle that I'm going in with is uh, the one that I mentioned earlier, SEVA, right? Mm -hmm. Selfless service. Um, And I think that's what I see law school as a tool to help me accomplish. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, I want to, at its very core, and this is very broad in the Mm 30,000-foot view, serve communities, right? And Mm -hmm. help communities, help marginalized communities. That is my goal. I think um, when I took a look at how I think I can be the most effective change agent. Mm-hmm. Um, it was through the institution of laws, through the legal system, because I think it's a very, very effective way, as you mentioned, when it works right, mm-hmm. um, to drive long-term, lasting institutional change in spheres of religious discrimination, racial discrimination, gender discrimination, these these problems that we're facing and that we're trying to unpack um, as a country as a world right now, um, I think it's a great way to drive change. Um, But I think you're right. It's often, it can be easy to get lost in this vast sphere. I would assume, who knows, I haven't even entered this sphere yet, (laughs) but I would assume it would be easy. Um, And I think, again, for me, it's a lot about grounding, knowing why you're going in, knowing what set of values you're going in with, um, and knowing that, you know, you're going in for the purpose of serving others and serving communities. Um, And I think with that mentality, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, I won't get sucked into uh, just <laughs> I, focusing on materialism yeah. and money and all that stuff. Well, <laughs> I, I, I don't see it, but you never know, but I just don't see it. Um, well, thank you so much for, for educating me and for, for being really open about um, things that are important to you. So the last question is a question I ask everyone on this podcast. Oh, if there was one thing you wish you could have told all your professors when you were in college... What would that be? Oh, boy. Um, If there's one thing I could have told all my college professors, Um, I think there's one thing, if there's one concept Mm -hmm. that I think is probably um, the most fundamental concept to Sikhism, to Harmon as a person, (laughs) to me, to my faith, to my family, to Every, to how I view the world, um, and it's it's the idea of oneness. Um, and I think uh, it kind of plays into something I had addressed earlier and my conception of people often ask me, like, who is God for you? What is God for you? Um, and I think, uh, for me, God is an energy, right? And um, there's this universal energy that connects everything from the, from the smallest you know, the space between strings and strength. Right? Like what's, what's resonating in those strings to the largest macro size of the universe. There's an idea of oneness that connects everything. Um, and I think uh, if I could share, if, if I could share that concept with people and if I could have, um, you know, if everyone understood the resonance of oneness of everything, I think it would, uh, it's a very broad concept. It's a very lofty goal, but I think it would, um, go a long way to solving a lot of these problems that we're talking about. So I think if there's one concept I could share. Uh, it would be the sick concept of ik onkar or oneness um, in everything, everyone. Uh, I think that's probably the lens that I see the world through. Thank you so much, Harmon. Of course, of course. Thank that you for having me. a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you for visiting Office Hours. Office Hours, a podcast, is a production of Dr. Marsha Chatlin and Alex Tyson. 
The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and only the speakers. Visit Office Hours on the web at www.officehoursapodcast.com, on Twitter at Office Hours Pod, on Instagram at Office Hours Podcast, on Facebook at Office Hours A Podcast. Tune in each week on iTunes and Acast.